Hello, hello, and my mic is really hot. <clears throat> Welcome to Hometown Daily. <laughs> Season 2, episode 346 for December 12th, 2023. Tonight, we are going to discuss, if I can actually untie my tongue, Dune Part 2 and its runtime. Hallucination is the word of the year for Cambridge Dictionary. Hasbro ruins Christmas for 1,100 workers. Ford cuts power to F-150 Lightning production. What are Foundation's spacers? I've always wanted to know more. Can we peel back an onion on this millionaire story? How about In-N-Out is paying 141% above minimum wage? And is that because... Minimum wage is so low, 141 sounds impressive, but it's not. I don't know, we'll talk about it. Ford pickup tows a Tesla. My attorney ate my lunch and then didn't show up in court. And Ghostbusters has an afterlife. That and more, maybe. A little bit of snark in there. Coming up next, Hometown Daily. Hey, look, my transitions work. Wow. You know, that's what happens when you reboot everything again after an update from OBS. I don't know. Some just magic, I guess. One minute you, you get uh, kicked by a mule, your eyes, uh, you fall down a well, you, your eyes cross, you get kicked by a mule, your eyes uncross. That's from Christmas Vacation. Go watch it. I'll wait. Oh, I'm this just in. I'm being told I should move on. Okay, well, let's just get going. Uh, the very first article, but my transitions are working, so the very first article is over in the continuity report. Dune part two runtime revealed is Dillis. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> I merged three words into one. Uh, Dennis Villeneuve's uh, longest movie. I absolutely love Dune. Um, the older versions of it, the newer versions of it. I, I just want the world building. It's just so spectacular. Let me grab this and throw it into the chat. There you go. Uh, the runtime for the film was first spotted by twitter users apparently with the film popping up on the japanese film classification and rating organization regulatory site which i'm probably not privy to i don't know i'd have to i'd have to learn japanese anyway according to the post the upcoming dune sequel will have a runtime of 166 minutes almost three hours Uh, well, I, I love everything about it. Should the film maintain that runtime, it'll be the longest movie in Villeneuve's uh, history, just edging out Blade Runner 2049 at 2 hours and 44 minutes. Well, I love the idea of this. I am hoping that there's going to be a part three, and this is just a very committed part two. I want more world building. I actually want the prehistory books um, 
like uh, the House Harkonnen um, style books where they focus more. I want to learn about Ix. I want to learn about um, all of the houses and the prehistory and what led up to <clears throat> what became a holy war against uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, there's so much more there behind this uh, first well, the, the book that we all know, uh, I just, I, I need more. So they talk about what do they know more or what do they know about Dune part two quote, the, uh, follow-up film will explore the mythic journey of Paul Atreides as he unites, uh, with Chani and the Fremen while on a war path of revenge against the conspirators who destroyed his family he reads the synopsis quote, Facing a choice between the love of his life and the fate of the known universe, he endeavors to prevent a terrible future only he can foresee. Well, there's actually another player in that um, who definitely knows what's going on, but I'm not going to spoil it. I suggest y'all wait. Like, If you read the book, it's going to spoil the movie. And I think a three-hour slow grind to the end, which is fantastic um it i haven't seen it but what i'm i suspect that it's going to be phenomenal um everything is just larger than life than the previous versions of it ships are just massive in scale and actually represented as massive in scale uh better than anything um previous so um, i i can't imagine somebody else uh beating villano's uh capability at world building so let's go on though i'll uh, i'll gush about this at another time uh the next article is over in the mobile channel oh did i say who it was by i did not i'm sorry that last the dune part two runtime reveal is dillis uh <laughs> i always dillis uh dennis villano's longest movie it was written by anthony nash over at comingsoon.net Sorry about that. I will uh, remedy that with this next article. Um, Cambridge Dictionary names hallucination word of the year. And the article's author says, and I've never felt so seen. Yesterday, the folks at Cambridge Dictionary named hallucination the word of the year. And quote, uh, I, it's not a quote. They just say, and geez, <laughs> it's so weird for me to say this. I'm quoting somebody that... It's in the article. They say, and Jesus, they really hit the nail on the head. Like, wow, frankly, this could be the word of the decade, not merely just the last 12 months. But no, I, I don't see how. Um, it only came into vogue because of the last year, for crying out loud. Um, it will probably get stamped out, you know, within the next year. So that the idea of hallucination... So I knew when I read this title that it was going to be about AI. And so I kind of just went over to the site and scrolled down just a little bit. And of course, it's about AI. So the article's over at gizmodo.com. Lucas Ropek is the author. The deck statement says chatbots, but also everybody have been seeing a lot of weird stuff lately. 
Um, and yeah, so they talk about it in the context of nothing than um, AI. So the Cambridge Dictionary team chose hallucinate as its word of the year in 2023, as it's recognized that the new meaning gets to the heart of why people are talking about AI. Generative AI is a powerful tool, but one we're all still learning how to interact with safely and effectively. This means being aware of both its potential strengths and its current weaknesses. So they talk about chatbots and, and other things in this, uh, but frankly, AI and generative AI has a tendency to hallucinate, which is basically making up a bunch of BS and then spewing it out as subject matter expertise. And it's just not that way. You, uh, dear consumer, are going to have to verify every single beep, fart and whistle that comes out of an AI, and you might as well do the due diligence yourself. What it's good at in particular is coding, which is as hallucinatory as can be, there's myriad way of doing code. Some is more effective, efficient, uh, you know, um, uh, economic, and some is less. And AI can basically spew out whatever it wants. And depending on your skill as a programmer or software engineer, you'll be able to suss out the inadequacies. It's also good at creative writing and creative works. But if you treat it as if it is an absolute correct thing, you're going to live to regret it because you're either going to get uh, charged with uh, some ethical complaint if you're a professional or if you're in academics, you're going to be charged with plagiarism because it's not a hey, it's not your work and it's not cited properly and it doesn't have a references page um, that cites into in text or narrative or parenthetical citations, you're going to get, you're going to have a bad day. Let's just put it that way. So, uh, it says in its uh, announcement, the literary organization explained that the buzz around artificial intelligence and technologies penchant for hallucinating or making stuff up via algorithmic error was the reason. And I could have told you that. Um, a whole lot earlier than 8.14 p.m. Uh, today here in Hometown Daily. But I'm telling you now, so let's move on to the next article. Here's uh, Hasbro earning its lump of coal for the year. Hasbro is laying off 1,100 workers as weak toy sales persist into holiday season. This is over in the Hatch Ideas channel because it's all about business, business transformation. I talk about intellectual property. Um product development, um, strategic management, etc. I don't do the show yet, but it's one of the weekend planned ones. So Hasbro, a toy brand behind My Little Pony and Transformers, which if that's where they're calling out, let me see, who's the source? Wow. They're calling out Hasbro for My Little Pony and Transformers, which is like get in the way back machine 30 years. Um, Anyway, it's already laid off hundreds of employees earlier this year, and it's going to lay off 1,100 workers as weak uh, toy sales persist. Drew Richardson is the author of this article. The company which makes Transformers and My Little Pony Toys has already laid off around 800 jobs earlier this year and said that it would cut 1,100 jobs as it struggles with slumping toy sales. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> things are getting really expensive. Um, 
Dice, by the way, can be expensive. That, the only reason, if you're listening to this via the podcast, the reason why I said dice is because th- there's a picture that has dice. Um, I love dice games. I've got a bunch over there. Actually, I've got a lot of dice sitting over here. Fantasy dice for like D&D and things like that. Um, oh, and so if you are a gamer, if you like playing D&D and you're looking for somebody, Marwad is available. I would love to get into some D&D games. I don't get to play that often, um, but I've also not really looked. And so if you know somebody that has an open spot at a table and can do it virtually, um, I'd love to get into a a game. I'm actually, I've got the Pathfinder stuff um, nowadays, not really D&D. Maybe that's an overshare. I don't know. Anyway, um, so yeah, the company... uh, Shares fell 2% on Tuesday. Rival Mattel's stock also slipped. Hasbro had about 6,300 employees as of earlier this year, but according to this article, they're going to lay off 1,100 of them, ruining Christmas. But hey, inflating the golden parachute for a CEO, and wow, is that name apropos. Um, so the... Uh, the CEO will probably end up with a bigger um, <laughs> paycheck because it's mitigating the losses to shareholders. I got into a discussion and then ended up watching somebody basically reiterate what I was saying about mergers and acquisitions um, late last week and uh, again reiterated over the weekend that uh, mergers and acquisitions and um, all of the wealth that has been getting generated is basically caused by the infusion of capital over the pandemic. And I've linked it to um, the uh, mortgage rates, right? So mortgage rates started shooting up as the economy was flooded with capital during the pandemic. It hit somewhere around 8.4%. And within six months, it has contracted and started wealth has contracted and is consolidated into the pockets of the, you know, it's trying to say 1%, but basically. So all of this has been concentrated, all this wealth has been concentrated into companies doing stock buybacks to uh, consolidate power into the uh, stakeholders and primary owners of the business. Um, not, Not just everyday stockholders, but it's concentrating into the major shareholders. So the company starts buying it back and the company remains in control of its stock and its profits are garnered more to the few than to the many um, because there's less stock out there making the stock more profitable um, for individual investors. And then they can release the stock again. That's how this works, right? Well, with all that wealth being held up in the higher echelon of uh, wealthy people, um, people can't buy houses anymore. So now the interest rates, mortgage rates are starting to decline. So what used to be 8.4% is now 7.8% and it's declining slowly, but it's declining. So, and that's kind of what's happening in all of the businesses, right? And if you look at this, I'm sure that there are some profits and those profits are being um, spent to reacquire uh, stocks and 
you fire people so that you can extend your runway um, so that you don't feel the, the heat so much, right? You don't have to cut somewhere if you cut deep early enough. Today, we're announcing additional headcount reductions, and that's how it just imagine that, you know, you have to be it's clinical in what it, they're saying, but it's to me, it's sociopathic to just refer to human beings as just headcount reductions as part of our previously communicated strategic transformation. Handing a big FU to 1100 colleagues globally. Well, they're not colleagues anymore. Uh, you're firing them unceremoniously. So close to 2000 people. So why now we enter 2023 expecting a year of change, including significant updates to our leadership team structure and scope of operations. Let me see something real quick. I'll do it live. <clears throat> Sorry, one second. Not, um, not trying to, uh, uh, give you dead air, but let's see. Um, So back in June, 2022, it looks like uh, Hasbro bought back 124 million shares, um, but nothing in the last three years. I'm reading that right. Huh? Let's see here. Yeah, $124 million worth of shares. All right. Um, interesting. All right. Well, I don't want to waste too much time on this, but it's interesting, right? They spent a lot of money to consolidate some shares and then bounced 1200 or 2000, close to 2000 people, um, the next year. I'm not shocked. So uh, what else are we doing is what they say here. Uh, we've also done what we can to minimize the scale of impact, like launching the VRP and exploring options to reduce our global real estate footprint. On that note, our Providence, Rhode Island office is currently not being used to its full capacity and we've decided to exit the space at the end of the lease term in January, 2025. Over the next year, will welcome teams from our Providence office to our headquarters in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Well, good luck folks. Okay. Let's keep on going. Uh, the next article is over in uh, hatch ideas as well. Ford cuts planned 2024 production of electric F-150 lightning in half. I don't know why they call it electric. F-150. I think F-150 Lightning is synonymous with electric nowadays. Um, it marks a major reversal after Ford significantly increased plant capacity for the Lightning EV in 2023. Um, I titled this one Ford Cuts Power to F-150 Lightning Production. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Okay, hold on a second. Let me throw this into the chat. So... Uh, the articles over at CNBC, Michael Wayland is the author of this. EV demand has been slower than many expected as prices and interest rates remain high, but sales of the F-150 Lightning have steadily increased this year. Um, it's 
I, I don't know. All of these suffer from the same problem. And I think it's this uh, worry about range, range anxiety as it uh, is referred to. And the fact that you can't just pull into a gas station and, you know, charge your car real fast and get the hell out of there. I was going to say they can get the hell out of Dodge, but that's a car company and I don't know. Anyway, the production cuts for the F-150 Lightning were first detailed in a planning memo to suppliers obtained by Automotive News. The memo cited changing market demand for the cuts, according to the publication. I'll have to add Automotive News to the show. We'll see. Ford spent six weeks earlier this year to increase capacity of the F-150 Lightning at the Michigan plant, which was expected to be capable of producing 150,000 of the all-electric trucks, three times its initial planned output. It's increased in 2023, notching a monthly record of 4,400 sold in November. The company has only sold 20,365 of the trucks this year through November, up 54% from a year earlier. Well, you can't spend that government money without actually showing something. It's a felony. Let's go on to the next article. Uh, the next article is over in the continuity report. Foundations spacers explained what they are and why the empire needs them. So um, the spacers are quietly one of the most interesting parts of foundation lore. This is an article that's over at screen rant. Um, I'll give credit here in a minute. Uh, but it's easy for the information surrounding them to get lost among the intertwining of various storylines, but they don't really talk about it in the show. You have to go off site off, I guess, little screen or big screen, wherever you want to, I don't know if you have a big screen at home, then it's a big screen, but foundation lore doesn't really exist in the, in, in the show you see a storyline and all I wanted, the moment that I saw spacers, all I wanted to do was learn more about them. Now we learn a little bit, but I want to know more. Um, basically spacers are the, the equivalent of navigators in Dune. Um, but spacers look awesome. Um, they're pretty cool how they all, how they interact, um, with their ship and, uh, what their function is. It says here, the spacers often take a backseat to the action for large portions of the Apple TV plus show. So they remain, uh, enigmatic in many episodes. Uh, some, oh, you know, I just don't want to spoil this show at all, at all for you because it's like amazing The there's a scene where they do something in you're watching this like why are they making such a big deal out of it you know everybody is like losing their mind in kind of a underspoken way um like the implication is that it's just doom and you're like well wait they're just gonna do that and i don't want to ruin it but then you find out what it does and you're like oh Oh, that's why they were all doom and gloom because it's doom and gloom, man. So I, I actually love foundation, uh, and the world building there. It, it could be Dune. Um, it, it's just an amazing, uh, world building that's taking place over in the Apple TV plus show. Um, and 
foundation you can it's a book so you can actually watch that too it's a series i think of books but let's go over to screen rant and uh, foundation spacers are a key part to the shadows world building from the role of empire space travel technology to their ultimate betrayal daniel bibby just did a spoiler of sorts um the treatment of spacers by the empire is inhumane as they are forced to service and must provide empire with a portion of their offspring which is well i mean if you think about what empire is it's basically a dystopian fascist uh, dictatorship that uh, you speak out against and you're deleted you're just you're basically evaporated Spacers and Foundation are genetically augmented humans with their bodies and minds altered to become a separate life form. Um, they look like they just fell out of cyberpunk. And uh, I, I love everything about it. So uh, they have these gold mechanical looking eyes. Um, it, it's just so cool. Uh, despite the relatively low amount of time spent on screen, Foundation has revealed a fair amount of information on spacers from their origins to their purpose. The Isaac Asimov adaptation has covered many bases, including facts about their biology and how important spacers are to the Imperial fleet and Empire at large. While the spacers exist in the uh, source material, a lot of their lore is currently exclusive to the show. So, yeah, I don't remember reading much about them. So, um, pretty cool. Um, I won't read too much about this because I really do want you to either go here and read it for yourself, um, or watch foundation. That's what I really want to encourage you to do. Go watch foundation. Um, one thing that they say in this article though, is although their modifications tend to make certain groups of foundation believe that spacers are more tools than people, the spacers have demonstrated their sentience on numerous occasions. At first, when we, I saw this, I thought that they were mechanical, biomechanical. Um, but I've come to learn in the beginning of the show that artificial intelligence doesn't exist in the conventional sense, true artificial intelligence robots, kind of like what happened with Dune uh, and the Jihad against artificial intelligence um, that also happened in Foundation where uh, artificial intelligence was wiped out. Sort of, you'll have to go watch it. Okay, um, that's it. We're gonna go on to the next article Maybe. Uh, the next article is over in Hatch Ideas. A self-made millionaire shares three things he refuses to tip on. Some people may disagree. Early retiree and millionaire Sam Dogan worked ser uh, service jobs when he was young, like grilling burgers at McDonald's. He shares three instances where he doesn't tip and offers advice on what to do instead. This is one of those give really good advice or something like that on the receipt. So I don't really buy into anybody being quote unquote, a self-made millionaire. Usually there is something, something underneath the first layer of the onion, the marketing bullshit that, um, always is sitting there. I have yet to meet or, uh, read about 
a self-made millionaire who was truly an ethical millionaire um, from end to end. Usually there's some something took place that facilitated um, and then they're disingenuous about the disclosure of how they got their break. Um, and a lot of people are like, well, there's a lot of hard work and yeah, there is a lot of hard work, but a lot of hard work, I'm telling you, a lot of hard work goes into just break even. What makes a difference is when something allows you to, uh, catapult to another level of productivity and it's usually somebody getting rich alongside you and they were already rich and so you were basically facilitated um and i know people like that i've worked with people like that um i've been associates with people friends with people like that um and you know you <laughs> when you get to know then some of the secrets come become apparent. It's like meeting your heroes. You never really want to do that. Anyway, they say one of the earliest jobs we were working at McDonald's for $4 an hour. I'm sure it was uphill both ways in the snow with asteroids falling on you. Um, today, they're a self-made millionaire, but they've never forgotten how tough service jobs are, right? Can you shift your mindset to reward people for great service while still protecting your finances? While some people may disagree, here are three things that this person refuses to tip on. That's Sam Dogan, who's the actual writer of this article. So I'm sure everything is going to be open and honest. And I'm sure it's honest from their perspective. But at a point of sale reader where no service is rendered. I don't quite get the clerk uses tongs to place a pastry in a bat in a brown paper bag, punches the cost into the electronic kiosk and spins it around to you. Well, I do actually, <laughs> um, it may not be 25%, but, um, they usually hit the, uh, this person, this millionaire, mind you, uh, says no to the tip button because I'm sure the person on the other side of the kiosk who's facilitating your purchase and doing some amount of work is getting paid enough to do just that job and nothing more. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 15% of a $10 purchase is $1.50. Uh, I, I don't think that it's really gonna, really gonna hurt you too much. Um, okay. Whatever, dude. How about uh, picking up a takeout order? Uh, you know, I do. I actually do a tip uh, for picking up a takeout order. It's usually because, um, again, the people who are working there, we have in America particularly uh, a, a history of underpaying the people that are uh, providing meals to people. And so when they are hustling, particularly during the COVID, COVID era, um, I would treat it as if I was uh, sitting in a restaurant because they're still doing what I can't do, which is, or what I don't want to do. And it's part of the convenience. Um, paying a tradesperson for in-house for house repairs. Um, there was a time where I would, and nowadays it's so damn expensive. Um, I was quoted to install 
um, equipment that I actually paid for. I had already paid for the equipment and I asked somebody to come in and install it. Um, and uh, they charged me, they wanted to charge me. I, I told them to go kick sand. Um, but they wanted to charge me a thousand dollars to clip the pipe for filling, uh, for the fill lines into a faucet and install the faucet. And it's because I wanted it. I wanted them to do it because I didn't want to climb underneath a cabinet. And I'm like, while I'm working, they can do that. And, and the cost benefit analysis, you know, the opportunity cost was I could go to the meetings and I could actually earn money and it would offset, you know, this thing, but they wanted a thousand dollars, which is quite the offset. So I said, nah, um, but it would have been for a professional. And that's one of the things, you know, you don't pay for just the gig you pay for. See, they say, of course, my plumber, if my plumber successfully fixes a leak that has bothered me for years, I do leave a generous tip. Well, if they're coming in to do work and they happen to do this as a friendly gesture, I guess that's on them to burn that time and hope that you're going to be uh, the millionaire that, you know, gives a little bit of the dough to them. Um, but if they come to the house to do repairs, usually it's several hundred dollars minimum. Um, I cannot count a time where somebody, a contractor has come um, and done a job for less than probably 250, 300 bucks. Um, in fact, I'm dealing with one contractor who uh, promises to come and finish a job they started. And uh, I suggest that they change the letter in one of their, uh, one of the letters in their company name so that it's a little bit more appropriate. And uh, if you're watching, you know who you are. So, and then they talk about percentage guidelines for tipping. And frankly, all of this screams sociopathic. Um, if you, if you are, <laughs> if you're worrying about somebody who's using tongs, filling up a bag with some cookies and you're worried about 15%, um, and you're a self-made millionaire, I think you might be reinforcing my theory that as we move towards being filthy rich, we become sociopathic. Let's keep going though. Um, the next article, oh, you know what? I need to back up just for a second. I do this periodically where I mess up posting the article into chat, but that's okay. Let's go on. Um, it's in chat now though. So, and then this one is going to go into chat. So, this article is uh, in hometown daily in and out just opened its first restaurant in Idaho and it's paying workers 141% above the state's minimum wage. So what is the state's minimum wage? $7 and 25 cents, which if you look at the average cost of rent or a mortgage um, and the cost of goods. So here, I'll put it to you this way. Um, the cost of living has increased by approximately 4%. Um, and there is inflation and, uh, people aren't getting raises. And so 
I calculated that we were basically it. If you haven't received a raise, you've been negative. You are negative around um, six and a half, seven percent at this stage at, right now. Um, and I did this in a discussion earlier today. And uh, so starting at $17 and 50 cents an hour is going to, <laughs> it'll be justification for why in and out burgers are so expensive um, or why five guys are really expensive if they do the same thing. Um, and there are people that are out there that are probably screaming that that's why things are so expensive, but food is expensive. Living is expensive. Um, traveling is expensive and eh, not so much actually it seems. Um, but 141% above the state's minimum wage, um, sounds really impressive until you see what the base number is $7 and 25 cents. This isn't effective in any way, shape or form an entry level job at $7 and 25 cents an hour. Um, uh, it just doesn't get you anything. It gets you nothing. There is nothing a livable wage about that. And people say, well, you know, minimum wage is for kids that are just starting out working in fast food. Now fast food is powered by a lot of, uh, non 15, 16 year olds, right? We're talking like 18 to 24 year olds that are in college are working at fast food and trying to get by. Um, and it just doesn't work. So it says crowds and winter coats camped out on lawn chairs early Tuesday morning to be among the first customers to dine at in and out in the first restaurant in Idaho where they're paying $17.50 per hour. I actually saw um, an article somewhere. I might've actually been a post on Reddit where somebody was complaining that they work at like UPS and they're making, um, what was it? Like $15 an hour. Yet there is somebody that is flipping uh, burgers uh, for more than that. And they were like, um, I find myself saying like a, a little bit this episode, but anyway, they were complaining that somebody at McDonald's shouldn't be making as much as their skilled labor. And I'm like, oh my God, dude, you're about to be replaced by a bot. Um, the, your skilled labor can be enumerated, uh, into a program and, and you're done. Um, so sorry, I'm getting an alert. Um, so I, I just don't see the comparison working fast food is hard freaking work. A lot of people can do it without much issue and actually have fun doing it, but it's largely a cultural thing where people within that particular, uh, restaurant fast food chain, or I should say that particular location all get along, work well together. It's called it, it's it's culture. It's company culture um, in a franchise culture. It makes a huge difference when everybody gets along. Everybody is reading everybody else in a way where uh, it's frictionless and there's no issues between people and everybody is happy and healthy and well paid enough that they feel compelled to actually work hard. 
But at $7.25 an hour, hell no. There are people that are barely rolling out of bed to go and do something for $7.25 an hour. Um, if that, you know, I, I think that this is an atrocity for crying out loud. Get $7.25 the hell out of there. It should be at least twice that. You're out of your mind, Idaho. Anyway, the article is over at Business Insider. Nancy Luna is the author. Um, let's see if they say anything that I didn't just now. It's $10 more than the state's minimum wage of $7.25 an hour. The average wage for fast food workers in the state is $11.25 an hour. It's because they think that it's unskilled, but it is skilled for crying out loud. I dare anybody to go into a fast food restaurant and just start doing it. You know, no way. Your production is going to be low. Your The quality is going to be shit. Um, you're going to be pissing off everybody at the counter. No, it's skilled. You know, every once in a while, you're going to get some bad actor, uh, you know, at the drive through or whatever. I know somebody when I go through the drive through and they are just cranky as hell. And all I want to do is get the food and get out of there. And I, I try to be jocular. I try to have some fun, um, but they don't get paid enough to deal with my attitude. You know, me being trying to be fun and chill and stuff, but no, just get in, get out, shut up. Anyway, in and out is known for paying its workers well above industry standards. The average manager makes 180,000 a year. And just, well, anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, to become an in and out manager, you must work up from the bottom and learn every role necessary to run a restaurant. Chain owner Lindsay Snyder wrote in her new book. That's the case in Idaho. The chain said the manager, uh, Valine, I think Henriquez is a 23 year brand veteran. If his history repeats itself, Enriquez will oversee huge crowds at the new location at the new Idaho location. Every time in and out enters a new state, a frenzy of cars line up for miles to get their hands on the chain's most famous burgers, animal style burger or the double double. I love animal style with grilled onions. I sound like one of those kittens that just finally gets wet food. In-N-Out Burger, founded by the Snyder family in 1948, is one of the most beloved burger brands in the U.S. I agree. I used to go to In-N-Out a lot. Um, now, I think if I eat one In-N-Out Burger, it's too much. And I live to regret it. 400 restaurants in seven states. Idaho represents the chain's entry into an eighth state. The company's ninth state is expected to be Tennessee. You all keep expanding there and good luck. All right, let's go on to the next article. Uh, this next article is over at hometown daily. Watch a Cybertruck get towed by a Ford pickup after the Tesla appear <laughs> after the Tesla appears to get stuck off roading. So a Tesla Cybertruck appears to have got stuck. Uh, on an off-road trail, a new video shows. The video shows a Ford pickup towing the Cybertruck. Um, yeah, to some degree, I think that um, an electric truck is great, but it is so damn heavy that I can't imagine it does good in anything short of uh, hard-packed dirt. Um, 
And when it's under strain, that battery drains, bleh, right? And then you're stuck out on a hill somewhere. Um, good luck getting that thing out of there. But Grace K over at Business Insider put this article together. There is a video out there. Um, the Musk says that it's uh, advertised as a truck for the as a perfect vehicle for an apocalypse. No way in hell. Come on, they threw a baseball at the window this time. Way to stand behind your glass. Um, see if they would have thrown the the shot through the window like they almost did at the other one. That would have been a glass hole. Anyway, car enthusiast Matt Chambers posted the video on Instagram under the username mchambers underscore 22, and it later circulated on Elon Musk's owned website, formerly known as Twitter. In the post on Instagram, Chambers said the Cybertruck had slid off, uh, I think there's a typo, slid off a trail designed for uh, off-highway vehicles on Coral Hollow Trail, an off-roading site in Bear Valley, California. No clue how... He was so far off trail. Credit to the buddies, they say my buddies, who went there Sunday and happened to be the ones who rescued him. So there it is. Oh, I'm going to play it. Um, let me see if I can square this up a little bit. I don't know if it's going to be loud. I actually have it muted, so I'll just play it. Oh, no. Oh, no. And I think the ones that are out there right now are beast modes. So this is supposed to be a triple motor. That can't be right. Can it? I don't know. My understanding is that the, the cyber trucks that are out on the roads right now are, are um, beast modes. So let me see. Um, the cyber truck driver identified himself as a Tesla engineer. The vehicle was likely undergoing winter testing, he said was likely undergoing winter testing. Well, if he's the tester, if he's the engineer, it, either it was or wasn't. Anyway, BI couldn't independently verify it and Tesla didn't respond to our request for comment. Yeah. Software issue caused their traction control to not work. Yeah. I'm so glad it's on the road. <laughs> yeah. Let's move on. Oh, and before I do that, let me throw this into the VOD. There you go, folks. Um, okay, next article. Uh, the next article is over in Law Nerd. Gone fishing lawyer allegedly told ethics investigators he was too busy eating his delicious catch to respond to inquiries. A Connecticut lawyer accused of two overdrafts to his attorney trust account, leaving a negative balance of more than $1,000, allegedly told his, his um, ethics officials that he was too busy eating his catch because he had gone fishing so the article is over at abajournal.com deborah Casson's weiss is the author of this i don't know if this is the same person that we've been talking about um because we've talked we we've spoken of other attorneys where they didn't respond because <laughs> they were busy yeah well you know what you have to work over 2000 hours um, mostly in, in a law firm, unless you're a, a partner and then it takes on a different perception of what work is. Um, a Connecticut lawyer accused of two overdrafts driving his uh, trust account negative. You see, you're not supposed to commingle funds. It becomes an ethical concern. 
um, and making your account go negative to the tune of a thousand dollars for two overdrafts is particularly disconcerting. Um, sometimes math and I don't get along is what they said. David J. Kurzawa of North Ford, Connecticut. In a December 6th amended presentment, the Connecticut Office of Chief Disciplinary Counsel is seeking an interim suspension of Kurzawa for failing to provide requested materials and failing to cooperate in an audit of his IOLTA account. Uh, the office um, is also seeking appointment of a trustee to protect the interests of Kurzawa's clients and an appropriate order of discipline. The office filed the amended presentment with the Connecticut Superior Court in New Haven, Connecticut at the direction of the statewide grievance committee. So they say, quote, I have a real estate closing earlier or early next week and my client is going on vacation and I have to have certain documents signed before he leaves. It, it's a matter of priorities and you are not one of them at this time. I tell my children all the time, twin daughters and a son, that they are surrounded by idiots. Also a law school classmate who was brilliant used to say that you can teach them to read and teach them to write, but you can't teach them to think. Kurzawa made the comment about math in a June 22 letter. Sometimes math and I don't get along, he wrote. There was no intent to misappropriate any funds. Never did, never will. Hmm. Um, let's see if there's something else in here. Kurzawa apparently responded to an in email inquiry about um, the uh, ethics concern with, uh, I was on vacation landlocked salmon fishing on East Grand Lake in Weston, Maine. Three of us caught about 50 fish, all of which went back into the lake alive except for one dinner. Three fish, 20 to 22 inches long. They were delicious egg batter, then breadcrumbs, fried in peanut oil. Hot peanut oil dissolves any soft bones left in the fish after they are filleted. Uh, then lemon juice on the fried fish you want to die for. Anyway, I was away. I will send you my response to this terrible offense next week. Um, and this is the, uh, in response to the uh, nearly $1,100 check deposited into the account. All right. Wow. Ah, uh, fished up some stones, apparently. Let's keep going. The, uh, oh, you know, I did it again. Oops, I did it again. There, there's the article that I just talked about. And here we are with our new article. It's over in the continuity report. Beloved Ghostbusters character confirmed a return in Afterlife sequel. The return of the beloved character has been confirmed for Ghostbusters Frozen Empire. A sequel to the 2021's Afterlife. The upcoming film will feature the return of the Spangler family as they join forces with the original Ghostbusters to prevent a powerful force known as the Death Chill from freezing New York and spreading over the entire world. The cast includes Paul Rudd, Carrie Coon, Finn Wolfhard, and McKenna Grace reprising their roles alongside the original Ghostbusters cast members Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, and Ernie Hudson. With Spangler Egon um, probably being um, like a, a, 
Uh, I don't mean to say it callously, but a ghost. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, Adam Bentz over at Screen Rant put the article together. And uh, it, just like other uh, shows, I really dig the world building in this. Um, I like that it's been resurrected and continues on. Uh, I really think that it's a shame that the all-female cast of the uh, Ghostbusters, I forgot what the name of it actually is. Wow. Anyway, uh, became such an issue. Um, but I, I, I think that Afterlife, Afterlife is rebooting it and um, exposing the uh, original movies to this new generation and with the age of this generation uh, the, these actors um i think it'll have longer legs uh, and so I, I but i don't know what's going to end up happening ultimately you know uh, actors want to do something other than the same thing um so i think maybe 10 years is the farthest that this would go uh, with these actors but that's 10 years of good movies if the writing stays up to snuff. Um, Frozen Empire seems like a stretch, but uh, I'd like to see how it plays out. I guess it's the Frozen version of the slime. So now ahead of uh, Ghostbusters Frozen Empire release date in March of 2024, the return of another beloved character has been confirmed by the official Ghostbusters Twitter account. Slimer is back along with a new empire of spirits waiting to be discovered. So Slimer is back. Dun, dun, dun. There you go. Slimer is the original. It slimed me. Green Ghost. The character originally called Onion Head or the Green Ghost became so beloved that he returned in the animated series, The Real Ghostbusters, where he was renamed Slimer and served as the team's mascot and friend. So I wonder how it's going to be depicted in the Frozen Empire, and they actually mention it. It remains to be seen how Slimer is depicted in Ghostbusters Frozen Empire. It'll have to be much more realistic. Uh, you know, this was just kind of this composited, um, blurry kind of a, a ghost. Um, and nowadays, us movie watchers just kind of demand higher resolution, higher quality. It'll be fun to watch. Watch it be exactly like the 80s version. That'd be funny. Take that, moviegoers. Anyway, let's get back into the party bus and drive all the way back down Main Street. And I would normally just kind of click this, but nope. We're just going to... I think I'm going to try and uh, promote this show. So we'll see. Made it in under an hour, folks. Look at that. Woo-woo. If you've been here for the whole show, great. If not, I hope to see you tomorrow. Uh, another show, 8 p.m. Eastern. Be there or be not there. I don't know. I can't make you. Okay. See ya. Bye-bye. Really? It's not playing the outro. Bye-bye, everybody.